But if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of John chapter 6. Um, so last week, we, we, looked at, we also looked at John chapter 6. It turns out that the lectionary is really into John chapter 6. There, there's several, and we're going to deviate from it next week because there's just, there, there are only so many times I can talk about Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life before I run out of things to say. Um, but there, there were at least two weeks worth of things to say here. Actually, in, in last week, I had to go kind of fast and cover a lot of ground. And it turns out there was actually a lot of things that we didn't get a chance to cover last week that now because John or the lectionary really like doubles down and goes back, um, we'll have we'll have a chance to do it. So we'll, we'll look at John chapter six in a second. So um, last week while we were on, or two weeks ago while we were on vacation, I remember coming back from we were we were on the beach and we were going to go to dinner. Um, we, and so we were walking back from the beach to go get uh, dressed for like go to go to a restaurant. And my nine year old Delia uh, says a thing that she says all the time, which is I'm starving. And so, uh, because it, it had been like two hours since anybody had given her a snack. So she's started, in fact, she says, I'm so hungry, I think I'm going to cry, is what she says. Like, she's not, not sh- she could, she could write some psalms, my, my nine-year-old. Um, she's, she's got a lot of, she's got a lot of big thoughts and feelings. Um, but here, the, and the thing I always want to say to my nine-year-old, I don't want to like invalidate my kid's feelings. Like, you don't want to be the kind of parent that's like, no, you're not. But at the same time, I want to be like, no, you're not. So, <laughs> Because I want to tell her, like, listen, here's the thing, nine-year-old who just had a granola bar 90 minutes ago. Like, you're not really starving. Starving, starving should be a word that we don't use as hyperbolically, I think, as we do. But we use it any time that we feel like any amount of hunger at all, like, I'm starving. Um, but I, upon thinking about the passage that we're looking at and the context around, sur- surrounding it, I, realizing, like, I don't know that I've ever actually been hungry. Like, I've been... I've wanted food. You know, I've, I've been in a place where my body was like, I could really go for a taco right now. But I don't know that I've been as hungry as the people in this story have ever been. Not, not at the level that lots of people feel when they go extended periods of time, like literally not knowing where their next meal is going to come from. And so we, we use this, this notion of hunger as, as like this, again, this hyperbolic way of expressing that we're very, that, uh, that we're or starving as, as a way of expressing like I, c- I could really go for some food right now, but not really fully. I, th- I think most of us probably, or at least me, I can only speak for myself. I, I've never been in a place where I, I literally didn't know where my next meal was coming from. And I, I, that's, I think that's a useful thing to sort of hold in our heads as we look at John chapter six, because in Jesus's lifetime, Lots of people were hungry. I mean, truly hungry. Like there were, uh, we, we've talked a lot about like the Roman occupation and like the taxation rates at this time uh, to, um, among people who were, ta- who were occupied and taxed by the Roman Empire where sometimes up to like 90% of your household income you're, get, you're just giving directly to Caesar. And so like, I don't know who can live on that. Un- unless you're just extraordinarily successful or wealthy, just there's so much economic insecurity at this time. And so unless you already happen to, to be in a, in a advantageous place economically speaking or have an extremely profitable business you, you probably would have struggled at least from time to time you would have struggled for like w- like we really are hungry we really don't know where our next meal is going to come from we really are going to have to ration like these like one loaf and like a couple fish are going to have to like really last us for a little while because we don't we don't know where the next meal is going to come from because caesar has his hand on our pocket all day every day and so that is the context of john chapter six and in this story in john uh, john six is just spoiler alert. It's the it's the story of Jesus feeding the five thousand. We and we alluded to this last week, but we didn't actually look at the story itself. Um, but th- this is the there, there are several miracle stories that, that occur um, in the in the Bible of Jesus. This is the only miracle story that occurs in all four of the Gospels of Jesus. So for some reason, this is the one miracle story that all four Gospel writers were like, "This is a really important story. We really need to highlight this story." So the question becomes like, why? Why? Like why? 
in the first century, in a, in a time when lots of people were hungry and poor and, st and starving, why, why was this the story that every, like all four of Jesus' biographers were like, we need to not forget to tell this story. This is a really important story. So let's take a look at it and then we'll, we'll get into it. So, um, and we, like, like I said, we looked at part of this last week, but we'll just sort of like dive right back into it and, and uh, look at it at a more granular level. So in verse three, it says, then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. We talked last week about like, that's a significant thing for any number of reasons. We'll, we'll double back to that in a second. But um, then in verse five, it says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Which, by the way, the, the idea that there's one small boy in this giant crowd, and there's only one person who has food. That's telling. That may tell you something about like where this kid's. Like maybe this kid had an extraordinarily privileged background. There's, we don't know enough about this kid, but like this kid is an outlier. This kid has food where nobody else does. Um, that's a whole other like set of uh, sermons and speculation that we could uh, that we could explore if we had more time. Um, and it says, then G in verse 10, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was pl plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. The Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. When they had had enough to eat, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered, around, gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had, who had eaten. Then in verse 14, after they, the people had saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So first of all, this story, and if you grew up in any sort of like Sunday school, like religious setting, you probably have heard this story. This is a really like family friendly version. Of, uh, like th th there are a lot of stories in the Bible you would like wouldn't tell to small children. This one is fine. It's about a little kid who like brings a sack lunch and like the sack lunch feeds thousands of people. So, but this, this I, I feel like the story has always been framed as like th there are thousands of people who show up and they all forgot to pack a lunch. And it's really embarrassing for all 5,000 of them, except for this one kid whose mom happened to have like made him a lunch. And so like that, it, it's, it's always been sort of framed as like, it's not an emergency. It's just like, it would be nice if everybody had a little bit of food. But the, and, and I, I don't know about y'all, but like when, when this story's been taught to me as a kid, there, there was never like a sense of urgency to like these people are hungry, like genuinely hungry, like like actually starving. Um, and I, I think to John's readers, I think that would have come across. I think there would have been a, a real sense of like, yeah, 5000 people gathered together and not a single one of them except for one person has any food. That sounds right because that's, that was the way things were at the time. And so there, there really, there would have been a sense of urgency in John's, in, in the original reading of this. There, these are truly hungry people. So Jesus addresses an immediate problem, but there's also a very old problem lingering in the air because as we looked at last week and was, as we saw a second ago, the Jewish Passover festival is near. So Passover, as we've talked about before, is this massive celebration in which people would travel to Jerusalem 
from all over the neighboring territories. People would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate a time in Jewish, the most significant time in Jewish history, which was the liberation of people from slavery in Egypt, which made the Romans very nervous, just by the way. Like the idea that, that tens of thousands of people who they have subjugated would all gather together in one place and say, like, don't you remember like the greatest moment in our history when we threw off the shackles of our oppressors um, and, by, like, and were liberated? Um, in fact, the Passover festival was the, a time that kind of springboarded several revolts that, uh, that unsuccessful though they were, were kind of a pain in the side of, um, of, of the Roman Empire because, and the Romans knew the Passover festival is a time that is sort of pregnant with possibility of like if the, if the Jewish people are going to revolt, it's probably gonna be around Passover because they're, they're getting their, their blood all up about liberation and everybody's gathered together in one place so their numbers are greater. And so, um, so, so you have this massive celebration that people are all about to gather together and remember this time when everyone was liberated and there was a meal surrounding that as we had talked about last week. So immediately following the liberation of the people, they begin a very long, in, in the original Exodus story, they begin a very long journey into the wilderness. And as we, again, if you were here last week, a lot of this is review, but th there arises a real question about food supply. And so in Exodus chapter 16, um, just to sort of review, in Exodus 16, verse two, um, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. So there's this, the idea here is people are starving. They don't know where their next food supply is gonna come from. And then God in the middle of that says, I will provide for the, the food. And then if you jump over to verse 31 in uh, chapter 16, it says, the people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and, and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come, which is an interesting, like take a piece of bread and just hold on to it forever. Um, so they can see the bread I gave, I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So one of, the, one of the parts of the story is like, don't forget. Like this continues to sort of be a recurring theme is remember that you were provided for in your moments of, of like when you thought you were gonna starve to death. So immediately following the original Passover event, there is a massive number of people and there's a food shortage. And embedded in the story is a call to remember that God has provided, to, or provided and to tell the next generation about it. Keep a piece of this and don't forget that when you were starving, that you were provided for. So for generations to come, Hebrew writers and poets would talk about the amazing gift that was the manna. In fact, if you look at uh, Nehemiah chapter nine, you have a reminder of this uh, in Nehemiah 9, verse 19. Like you see this all over the Hebrew scriptures. In verse 19 in Nehemiah 9, it says, because of your, it's a prayer, because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on, on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing, their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. So there, again, in, in this ancient Hebrew literature, you have in times of great struggle, you have the poets and the writers saying like, don't forget about the manna. Manna becomes shorthand for like, remember when we were starving. And then God says, I will provide for you. In Psalm 78, going back to the Psalms, um, in Psalm 78 verse um, 23, it says, 
Yet he, God, gave a command to the sky above and opened the doors of heaven. God rained down manna for the people to eat. He, God gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of the angels. God sent them all the food they could eat. So there's, again, in, in the poetry of the people, there's this reminder of, don't forget that when you were starving, when people, when people are starving, God provides. That's, that, is, that is the recurring sort of, that, that is what the manna becomes shorthand for. So in Hebrew tradition, if you were ever to wonder, does God provide during times of need, during times of struggle, are there, in, in times of desperation, is there some sense of hope that, that is born out of that? Someone might have been inclined in moments of sitting around and wondering, like, are we going to be okay? Someone in the room might have been inclined to remind you of manna. Don't forget about the manna. So it's Passover time in John chapter 6. And Jesus and his followers find themselves in a situation where they're asking, where are we going to get food for all these people? John specifically wants his readers to know that this story is about another story. We talked about this again last week. Like we looked at how John chapter 6 is sort of like a, an echo of the Exodus story. The entire book of John, or the entire sixth chapter of John is, is this reminder of the Exodus story. So later on, John actually, if you jump down to verse 48, John connects the dots for us. Because sometimes John just, he, he goes, like a lot of times John is a little bit cryptic and he begins like sort of speaking in code, but sometimes he just like fully like pulls the, the veil off and he's like, listen, here's what we're talking about. So after, after, so after Jesus feeds all of the people, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and the people he just fed come and find him. And they end up in a string of back and forth conversation about bread and what Jesus is actually up to in the world. And so this is, this is actually in John 6 uh, verse 48. This is the actual lectionary passage. All this has just been sort of leading up to what the, the lectionary passage for today actually is, which is verse 48. So in verse 48 of chapter 6, it says this, uh, if I can find it. It says, um, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna uh, in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Jesus is making some pretty big statements about himself. So Jesus is connecting himself to the Exodus story. And then he's saying, you remember the manna that we always talk about being the thing that sustains, the thing when, when people are at their most hopeless and people didn't know what to do and the manna becomes shorthand for like all the ways that we go reaching for hope, like you were saying before. Um, Jesus is saying, I am that hope. Like I am, I am the living manna. I am, I am the thing that you've been reaching for this whole time. So there are a couple of dimensions to this. The first dimension is, and I think this is, this is crucial. Um, Jesus seems to really care about the needs of actual hungry people. Like it's a lot of time. Um, like he he sees real people with real needs, and he addresses those needs. I think a lot of times we find ourselves not being that interested in real needs as like the quote, like the capital C church. I think a lot of times we just sort of chalk those up to like secondary needs and we were more in, like, I'll give you an example. When I was a youth pastor, we, we did this mission trip to Houston one time and mission, mission trips are a great example of this a lot of times um, because, because we sort of get really hyper-focused on like one specific way of helping people and no other ways. Um, but I remember we were in, we were in Houston. I was, I was like 19. I, I, it was my first summer as a youth pastor. And, um, and I remember there, it, it, was, it was a bunch of churches in us. We, just, we were tagging along with the, this massive group of churches in Houston. And they, they, they went down to one of the most impoverished parts of all of Houston. And they set up a tent and they had people making food. And the food, and you could smell the food. And you had people going out and like telling all the like homeless folks and people like, um, like the, 
people who really struggle. Like in, whoever's living in this area in the middle of the day on like a Tuesday, like it's, it's hard times. And so they're going out and they're telling people like, hey, we've got food. But the thing is, it's a bait and switch. Because the thing was, there was gonna be a sermon and anybody who stuck around for the sermon, if you were there at the end of the sermon, then you got to have the food. So it was like, right, that's like, like, I hear all of you groaning and I agree. Um, and I participated in this, not knowing any better. And, and this philosophy of ministry, and it, and it totally, and the thing is like, nobody's there for the sermon. Everybody knows they're there for the food, but the food is like, it, it, it's the carrot and the sermon is the stick, you know what I'm saying? And so like, not a great way to introduce yourself to the most impoverished people in all of Houston. Um, but this philosophy of ministry is basically a way of stating that physical needs don't matter be, as long as people believe the right things. As long as people believe the right things, like their hunger isn't really all that important. But that's not what Jesus shows us. Like, in fact, Jesus shows us the exact opposite. Jesus goes out of his way. Jesus' first question in this, in this part, in, in this story is not like, like, do we have, do we have a way for everybody, all these 5,000 people to hear me when I'm preaching? Like, no, Jesus' question is, how are we gonna feed all these people? Um, in fact, later on, or not later on, earlier in the book of Matthew, Jesus teaches people how to pray. And one of the parts of Jesus's prayer is, give us today our daily bread. Like Jesus is deeply interested in physical, real-time, in-person needs. And it's, it's also, it's noteworthy that when Jesus sees a massive crowd, his first impulse is to feed them actual food. He doesn't do his whole, I am the bread of life sermon until like they come in, like they, they have to like hunt him down later to get the sermon. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't even like, okay, now that everybody's eating, now I have a captive audience, now I'm gonna do my spiel. Jesus feeds everybody, leaves. The people he feeds are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we wanna we want know more about this guy. That's when Jesus does his whole, I am the bread of life spiel. So to follow, I would argue, to follow Jesus is to learn to recognize the actual needs of actual people and to respond in whatever way that we can. Um, and that when our concern becomes, when, when, when it becomes like, well, as long as they hear the sermon or as long as they like get the, the spiel, as long as they, they believe the right things, then that's what we're really after. Like, no, that doesn't seem to interest Jesus at all. Jesus' interest seems to be like, how are we gonna feed this hungry group of people? Um, so that's one dimension is that Jesus seems to be deeply interested in actual needs of actual people. Another dimension to this um, shows up in verse 11. In verse 11, it says, um, says, Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So this word gave thanks here in Greek is the word eucharistain. Uh, the, the, what's interesting, I mentioned before that all the other gospel writers like, tell this story. None of the other gospel writers use this word, eucharistain. John's the only one that uses this word. So he's using it in, in, on purpose. Like for whatever reason, John decides this is an important word to use. This word becomes the term for one of the most recognizable practices in church tradition, known as the Eucharist. So in Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus performing what we now refer to as the Eucharist or communion or the Lord's Supper. Um, and so in Matthew 26, verse 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, when he had Eucharistane, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he gave it, then he took a cup and when he had Eucharistane, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. So this word, the original Greek term Eucharist here, Eucharistane, literally comes from the word that means to give thanks. So when Jesus, anytime you see Jesus giving thanks uh, in, in the context of a meal, Jesus is Eucharistaining. 
he's, he, he's using this word as a way of, of receiving something. And the root word inside of Eucharistian is the word charis, which means grace. Grace is the idea that we have somehow received something that we could never have provided for ourselves. It is the insistence that we are recipients of a beautiful gift. So this very famous miracle story is about a massive group of people who are hungry and they receive what they need but could have never provided for themselves. Then later, Jesus uses the same term to talk about his own sacrifice on behalf of all of humanity. You know what I mean? So when we talk about grace, we're talking about the act of receiving something. We give thanks because that is the appropriate, that is the appropriate thing to do when we have received something good. So um, I, I don't know about you, like any, a lot of times if, I, if someone tries to give me something, my first response is, okay, well, I, now I owe you one. Like if somebody like offers to buy me a cup of coffee or a meal or something like that. Um, I, I, I have a hard time accepting generosity without it being sort of like this, like, okay, well now I'll, like, I'll get you the next time or something like that. Um, or, and, and then the other, say, say what? Reciprocity. Reciprocity, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, it's this like, okay, I owe you one, right? Um, and, and then you have the other person say, no, 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 that's not necessary. That's not how this works. Um, because, and, and so maybe, and speaking only for myself, maybe this impulse to always keep score and to always struggle against my own ability to receive is my natural resistance to grace. Maybe that is reflective of a larger difficulty I have receiving any amount of grace, of Eucharistaining, of receiving and just simply giving thanks and, and being able to say, thank you. We, we don't want to feel like we owe anybody. And it's hard to simply be grateful when someone extends grace to us. And Jesus is modeling for us Eucharistane. He's modeling for us, no, sometimes we just receive. Sometimes that is, that's what grace means. And so when we just receive, we are practicing grace. We are practicing what it means to receive grace. So perhaps... Perhaps you could use a little bit of grace. Maybe it's been a very difficult week and you need some kind of grace. You need to receive something that you could have not provided for yourself and that's okay. Maybe your tank is low and there's this sense of, I really just need to receive something that I could not have provided for myself. I need to, some, I need to receive something good that could not have come from me. Um, because I was saying to my therapist a couple of weeks ago, like, man, I, I just feel like I really need a win. You know what I mean? And, um, and the thing is like, the, the implication being like, I need to be able to do something that makes me feel like I accomplished something, but maybe a win sometimes is the ability to say like, I, the only good things I can provide for, or th that I could receive right now could not possibly come from me because my tank is so low and be, or because things are so difficult and things are so at, just at risk and everybody's sort of like, we're, you're all wearing masks. You know what I'm saying? Like things are difficult. We're all, we're all in a situation now where uh, we're, we're waiting for good news or, or we're waiting for some, some sense of like, it's going to be okay that we could not provide for ourselves. So maybe grace is the ability to say like, yeah, um, may, maybe I just need to receive something that I couldn't provide for myself. So that's a dimension to this. Jesus models, he, he receives, he gives thanks. So that's the, the final dimension to this is Jesus has a pattern here. He, first, he, he gives thanks and then he feeds people. He embodies, he, there's this cycle that Jesus embodies. Jesus receives, he Eucharistanes, he gives thanks, and then he gives something of himself. So maybe we're invited to respond with the same sort of cycle. We, the first thing we have to do is receive, and then we give thanks for the thing that we received. And then once we've received and given thanks, then we have the capacity to give something of ourselves to other people. Maybe the reason we struggle with 
offering generosity or kindness or any sort of gesture of goodness to other people sometimes is because we are, are because the tank is low because we haven't received and we haven't given thanks and we haven't been able to receive any amount of grace maybe my ability to give grace begins with my ability to receive grace so jesus models this cycle for us so that's what i've got that's it um so may we um may we receive if, if we need to receive May we respond to the needs of other people, not by saying, sometimes thoughts and prayers just aren't enough, you know what I'm saying? And sometimes it's a, like, can I watch your kids for you? Or can, can, I, can I go grab a, a gift card? Can I fill up your car with gas? Or, or something like that. Maybe for some of us, it, it's a question of like, um, when, when I encounter a need, it isn't just thoughts and prayers. It is, how do I really respond to this need? Um, and then other times it's, I have a need and maybe, maybe it's because I need to receive something. Maybe it's, I need to Eucharistine. I need to give thanks for some, I need to receive some kind of grace that I could not have provided for myself. So if your tank is low, may you find that you are receiving something good. And if you encounter a need in the world, may you respond to it with grace and may you respond to it with some sense of like, what, how do, how do we really, how can we really respond to these needs? So may we become, be the kinds of church or maybe we'd be the kind of church that responds in those kinds of ways. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for uh, this, this group, this, um, all of us in this room, all seven people gathered here. May we um, thank, thank you that we could be in this room together and have a discussion and have a time where we hopefully received something. Um, and then may we, may we move through the world with our radars tuned for how do we respond with a sense of generosity and grace when there are needs around us. And for those of us who feel empty, for those of us who feel depleted, for those of us who just need a little bit of grace, may we open ourselves up, may we receive that which we could have never provided for ourselves. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.